from Kirkco Media. This is Medicine. We're still practicing. Part of our coronavirus series. I'm Bill Curtis. We're going to look at a different angle of the doctor-patient relationship today, which has a special significance as our lives adjust for the new way of thinking. More home, less gathering. And with us by the wonders of remote technology, my co-host, the quadruple board certified doctor of internal medicine, pulmonary disease, critical care, and neurocritical care, my very good friend, Dr. Stephen Tabak. How you doing, Steve? Hey, Bill. Good to see you again. Dr. Steve, after a long day of coronavirus patients, do you basically go home, burn your clothing outside, and get steam cleaned before Gina lets you back in the house? Without a doubt. I mean, it's, it's a high-pressure hose that she takes to me, you know, at least twice a day. Yeah, she's she's wanted to do that in the past. This has just given her a better excuse, I think. Um, Without a doubt. It sure is reassuring knowing that we've got Steve on the front lines of this battle every single day. And Steve, we appreciate you making time for this program. Thank you. My pleasure. In one of our earlier shows, we had an amazing discussion with Dr. Varinda Singh, chairman of cardiology at the Lenox Hill Hospitals in New York City. He also is a recovered COVID-19 patient himself. One of the profound subjects discussed was what he called indirect COVID deaths. Apparently, many people across the country are having standard-issue health problems like appendicitis, heart or brain emergencies, even symptoms that would lead to the detection of cancers. But we're avoiding going to emergency rooms or even our doctor's offices for fears of being infected with coronavirus. First, to make this clear, hospitals have gone to great lengths to create separate areas and tracks for COVID patients. So if you have chest pain or stroke-like symptoms, don't wait. Go to the hospital. Well, our two guests today, Dr. Matthew Rill and Dr. Matthew Thompson, are emergency room physicians who are either clairvoyant, have really good timing, or have just a bit of luck because they co-founded a telehealth company mid-last year. The company is called Telescope Health out of Jacksonville, Florida. And during this phase of COVID-19, subject 1A has been about testing, 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 testing. We've all heard it. But antibody testing seems to have the greatest potential for helping us facilitate our personal decisions on whether we leave our homes, regardless of what our governors say. Dr. Rill and Dr. Thompson, you're a bit ahead of the curve when it comes to focusing on facilitating antibody testing. How are you doing that? We looked at our area in in early March and noticed that there weren't a lot of options for viral testing. And then more recently, as kind of the fear has maybe dropped off a little bit in our area, people are wondering if that illness they had earlier this uh, winter or early spring was COVID. And there's a lot of folks that are interested in having antibody testing for that reason, as well as really just to try to get back to work. Could you describe what you guys are doing on the forefront of testing? Go ahead, Matt. You know, really the primary thing that we're doing using telemedicine is, is screening folks for active symptoms. We offer two forms of testing now, the RT-PCR RNA swab testing, which um, you know, detects the active presence of the virus. The other piece of that puzzle is you know, the blood serology testing that we start offering. Um, we're really trying to push people to look for the presence of the virus first, and then you know, we realized there's a lot of people who just want information um, and, and access to their healthcare to know if they had exposure, you know, previously. So how does this compare to the consumer experience with like a Teladoc, which is obviously on the New York Stock Exchange, I think it's a $12 billion company. What do they do that your operation is looking to actually create a better scenario for the patient? 
telemedicine is being lumped into one category right now. And it really is just the technology like we're using now to allow you to see another, see a provider via video. It's, I think it's really going to be more about what's at the other end and the service that's delivered. I think there's a big difference between seeing one of your local physicians that's tied into uh, one of the local networks and the knowledge base they have around that, as well as really, I think emergency medicine is, is uh, poised to, to do a great job. I think the biggest thing we're trying to do is, is make access to care easier and make care more connected than it has been in the past. And I, I think it's, that's going to be hard from a national platform versus your local physician. It's been interesting with COVID, you know, as bad as it's been for some hospitals, ER volumes around the country have been down. Well, sure. We're afraid to go near a hospital because we don't understand and we think we're going to get COVID by going there. One of the things that telemedicine can do is give me an easy way to dialogue with someone that I can trust. And they say, you should go to the hospital. They make the decision for you, which as a consumer, you're really looking for somebody who can help you do that. The notion of an outpatient telemedicine practice seemed ridiculous to me that, you know, I, I deal with a lot of octogenarians or, or a little bit younger, but a lot of COPD, a lot of lung cancer, which tends to involve the elderly population. Once COVID hit, we realized we're not going to be seeing any more patients in the office. We started doing FaceTime duo doximity contacts with our patients. And I assumed the young patients would cling to this quickly, but our elderly population would not. I'm seeing 50 patients a week now um, when I'm not in the hospital coming over to the office, all on FaceTime duo, all remotely of all ages, and they all love it. I'm coming to them now. They're not coming to me, but they don't have to pay for parking. They don't have to get in their car. They're still enjoying seeing me, but I'm actually astounded at how well this is received by my outpatient practice. And determining your limitations on this, it also is, is interesting. And I think that this is a new type of practice. And the more you use it and get used to it, the more you can expand on those limitations um, and, and treat more conditions. Using that experience, I mean, we always tease that we kind of know who's sick usually and who's not sick in the ER just by walking past the room. The same thing applies. You know, we we first can look at somebody and say, oh, you, you look dysphonic, you know, you look like you really need to, to go get uh, evaluated. I agree um, with you 100% from the critical care perspective. Yeah. I walk around as the director of the unit. I do a yeah. quick walk and the quick look gives you so much information. If you have any experience at all, really, you can tell who's ready to crash and who's not. You can tell who looks yeah. toxic, who's in respiratory distress or impending respiratory failure. It is absolutely invaluable. The thing, the downside, I think, to telemedicine is that there may become a false sense of security that, hey, I really sure. don't have to see my doctor. And so that abdominal mass that you're not going to even pick up necessarily because they yep. may be asymptomatic, that actually palpating the abdomen or listening to the lungs that may give you a clue of you know, a, local, a localized wheeze, a focal wheeze that may say, hey, maybe there's a tumor that lead to a further evaluation, that's sort of the downside. But for the vast majority of, of cases that you wind up seeing, certainly in the ER, and the things that even that we would deal with in the ICU, the quick look gives you so much information. So guys, let me ask you a question, because I, I visited Johns Hopkins a while back, and they showed us a packet that they were working on that they hoped to deploy into the homes of their patients, where their patients would be able to plug in uh, devices that would help 
listen to their heart, take their blood pressure, things that you would normally want to do in your offices. I thought that was Alexa. That's not, that's not the, the technology. <laughs> Alexa, check my blood pressure. You right? know, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's coming. Is that's that coming. reasonable? Can that be done effectively? For a lung exam, I think that that might work well. I still think that there's some, some gaps. Steve, your example of the abdominal mass is a good one where yeah, I'm not sure how I could reproduce that, that particular exam on telemedicine, but there's so many things we can do. I think you're right, actually. Just, just watching how my patients have basically attached themselves to, to this modality of care. Like I said, my, my elderly population, a good proportion of them, a vast majority of them, have embraced this technology without any difficulty. So I agree with you. I think it's coming. There's an app called CardioMobile. They send you this little device, and I think you put your thumbs on two sides of this thing. It actually takes your EKG and in a very short period of time, puts it on your phone, there's quite a bit of information you guys can be gleaning from some of these tools. Will you be incorporating these into your system? Because we can all see uh, the trend here uh, and movement towards more telemedicine use. The difficult part is getting these devices in the hands of all of our patients. And so it's something that will be a trend that happens probably over time. And Apple Watch is a perfect example. You know, and when these watches came out initially, maybe there was a few people who had them and now just about everybody has a smartwatch. And so first everybody needs to have a smartwatch and then all those smartwatches need to be able to offer the same technology and services. And so as this begins to, to catch up, we'll be able to offer this to more and more patients. And as we have patients, we'll incorporate into their triage form, do you have any smart devices that you'd want to use today? But I think next year is going to be a totally different type of telemedicine consultation than we're seeing this year. The thing that concerns me most about this, um, I just looking, you know, playing chess three steps, you know, down the board here. In this show, we like to make sure that we're representing medicine in an honest fashion that's educational. So we wouldn't want our listeners to feel like, hey, telemedicine is so great. It can supplant a comprehensive evaluation or for every type of medical illness, you can do this from home. You don't actually have to go see a doctor or go to a hospital. That's not what we're saying here. So that would be my only concern is that it then is advertised as such, not by your company by any means, but I just mean in general, knowing the free market environment that we have in this country, that there would be a chance to abuse that and mislead the public. No, I think you're right. I think it, it augments care and makes certain kinds of care easier. Exactly. It helps answer questions and helps get people to the right place the first time. But certainly there's a lot of things that you're going to have to go in for and you're going to get a much more thorough evaluation and it has a role on the front end and hopefully we can get folks to the right place the first time. So apparently this platform also is being used rather successfully lately for mental health issues. Can you guys talk about whether or not you plan to add that into your system, or is this strictly kind of a church versus state situation? That was probably the first extra uh, service we've, we've been planning. We've, we've been talking with some local uh, psychologists and psychiatrists even before covid We've got a few things in the works now, not quite ready to launch, but that'll that probably would be the first additional service we offer. Uh, we're all also looking at pediatrics, um, and we've had a lot of other specialties approach us. We're just trying to figure out the best way to integrate them. But I think mental health is an obvious one. I can imagine folks feeling much more comfortable from home. And also face-to-face. -face. I mean, many times you're calling into a, to a hotline, but to actually be able to see a warm face along with that comforting voice, I think could go a long way in mental health. On that note, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Doctor, doctor. Hello out there. 
This is Jenny Curtis. I am a podcast producer at Kurtco Media, and I am currently sitting alone in a very empty podcast studio surrounded by hand sanitizer. <laughs> and I'm recording this in an effort to reach out. It's not an easy time right now. We don't know what the day-to-day -day is going to look like for the next few weeks, even months. So I'm proposing something. Let's all make something together. Kurtco Media has launched a podcast called A Moment of Your Time. These are bite-sized episodes, and each one features you out there. Go to kurtco.com slash a moment of your time for more information. We may have to stay apart, but let's create together. I want to bring a particular personal story in for just a moment, if you'll allow me. I've just gotten done with about three years of experience with my dad, who passed away at the very experienced age of 93. And I have to say, one of the reasons why he lived that long is because Dr. Steve saved his life twice. He struggled with kidney failure and heart failure. To those of us on the patient side, like taking care of dad, the balancing act was overwhelming. And while Steve is a very good friend, he's also two hours away from where my father lives. Uh, so once in a while, uh, my father had to go to another doctor locally who didn't really understand what he was going through and would make changes. And then my father would crash and then we'd have to put him in a car, drive him two hours to come up to Steve's hospital and Steve would have to save his life again. Your system, the concept of telemedicine combined with the absolute need of a medical records and perhaps a backup system that prevents even doctors from prescribing medicine without considering interactions between them. This is potentially life-changing, life-extending. Are you guys tied into electronic medical records so that the prescribing doctor can see what else I happen to be taking? Well, yes and no. We, we do. All of our providers have access to the electronic medical records of our partner hospitals. The unfortunate reality of, of uh, medicine across the country really is that we still have multiple different EMRs, even unfortunately within some of the same health systems. So there's a, there's a huge effort to change that. And there are certain vendors that offer more integration. I guess our hope is that in the next few years, we'll start to see better integration across multiple platforms. Steve, what do you have at uh, your sites? Oh, well, we have Epic and it works well. But, you know, there is Cerner out there and there's still uh, Meditech, I think is still in existence. So that is the issue that is fragmented. We're not all communicating to each other. It's not all necessarily updated from a doctor's office. The hospital data, the doctor's offices are not always linked. I have a, a, a EMR that's completely separate. And so I'm working off of two platforms for my local hospital and for my, my office. And that's because the hospital platform was too complicated for the office. We're not in that position where it's a global or certainly a national health system communication, which makes it very difficult. Doesn't that just boggle your minds? Because there's no difference really between the conversation that you might have with me about what my other symptoms are, what my other ailments are, what my other medicines are on a uh, telemedicine system versus being in your office. It's frustrating to us as consumers that at this point, there's not a really 
easy, simple, single system that prevents me from making a mistake and, frankly, you from making a mistake. It's part of the downfall, I think, of the free enterprise. And we obviously know the benefits of free enterprise and the freedoms uh, of America and what it affords. But when you have a national health care system, and I'm not a strong proponent of national health care, but in this regard, I am, because I agree with you that it should be centralized. There should be a way to know everything that I'm doing in real time in my office, which then becomes part of the centralized computer database so that when my patient comes in and is not really sure about what medication they're on, I can just go to the computer and say, no, this is the medication. And with confidence, knowing that I have the updated medication list that I can then review, even if my patient is confused. We don't have that. And it's, it is very frustrating. Wouldn't you think that that system would also be a backstop for doctors who, for whatever reason, don't see something and it tells the doctor, no, don't prescribe this one because it has an interactive effect with some other medication. Clearly. And I think eventually we will have it. But yes, in spite of the fact that the technology is here, that's the frustration. It's not like the technology is not available. We obviously have the technology. We meaning the, the healthcare system, and it's a huge system. It's not doctors, it's hospitals, doctors, insurance companies, the national insurance company, Medicare, Medicaid, we're not all working cooperatively yet, in spite of the fact that the technology is right here. Dr. Matthew, does your system keep a chart on me? Like, if I'm in your system for the next couple of years, will this end up solving this problem because there'll be a chart on your platform so that when a doctor is suddenly talking to me, there'll be a kind of a chart that they can look at that I've earned my way through time on your system to feel a little better that you know everything going on with me. The nice thing about our charting is that it's fully transparent. So when you log into our system, you are able to see all of your previous encounters that you've had in Telescope Health with every provider. After I finish a consultation with you, I fill out a note, uh, and that'll include your exam, your history, my recommendations, and any prescriptions I'm writing you, any follow-up plans. And then that uh, is sent to you and is kept in our records as well. So it's a fully transparent system. You know, in healthcare, there's a lot of things that are, are not readily available to the patient, and that's an access issue. And we chose the software that we're using because uh, we like that transparency. So you can see exactly whatever any physician writes. And we, we've had to educate our physicians on that too, because a lot of them are used to writing notes, uh, not understanding fully that the, the patient is going to be able to see. read everything that you're <laughs> yeah, saying. Everything. And, right. you know, the reality is they should be able to. Absolutely, um, and, right? And, and that is a simple access issue. I mean, if you are putting your trust in a physician or a provider, you should be able to know everything that they're writing about you, and you should be able to access that at any time that you want to. And we're certainly paying for it. So um, that's a nice thing about our system is that it's fully transparent. And yet there are times, and it's kind of an interesting thing, because you want transparency. Yeah. But there are certain psychological issues that you come across sure. with patients, unrealistic expectations that you yeah. would want your colleague to know about that historically you might be able to put in the chart so that you can communicate with your colleagues. Sure. Now you're going to have to sidebar your, your colleagues and say, you know, exactly. hey, you have yeah. the record, but you're going to be very sensitive about the wording that you use. Well, speaking about that sensitivity, Dr. Rill, during COVID, we've had a suspension of HIPAA requirements. What, what's going to happen with that going forward, and how does this affect your platform? I wouldn't call it a suspension of HIPAA. A, le a leniency, maybe, huh? Yeah, I mean, a leniency is probably a good word. So there's, there's definitely been a leniency towards some of the HIPAA provisions, and that was, I think, with good intention because 
everybody was trying to help during this time. And, you know, you have all these doctor's offices that no longer could see their patients in person. And I think that rightfully so, the government said, this is probably a time where we had to allow for more innovation and allow folks to be able to find ways to see their people. And, you know, I'm glad to see that that they relaxed some of that. I think that we're all going to have to adjust both on the software side and on the clinician side to make sure we tighten that up as things go forward. In our own platform, we were lucky because uh, we had started in May and kind of worked out many of those issues prior to COVID. So our, our platform is HIPAA compliant. Do you think that this system can end up being kind of a reminder platform as well? Is that part of the system that it kind of reaches out and tells me as a member, this is what's on your schedule and get off your butt and go see your doctor? That's certainly in the future. Right now we're using email to help with uh, follow-up messaging. But if you look at some of the other, um, our platform and some of the other platforms out there, I think that everybody's goal is to try to have it help, help it be more interactive over time, uh, where it might remind you, you know, your cholesterol is due or things later. But uh, we're definitely looking at, at that in the future. So as, as we bring this thing to a close, I have to ask you all to, to talk a little bit about how you see the next year. You know, major doctor's offices are currently not operating, and certainly you don't want to go right now and sit in a waiting room. How are you seeing the next year or so play out for doctors operating in the environment that we've got before us and how the consumer should be looking at their medical future so the good news is I think that doctor's offices and hospitals have never been cleaner. And <laughs> certainly that's, a, that's a fact, right? <laughs> and I think that there is all sorts of work being done at all, our hospitals and, and I, I assume every health system to protect both the healthcare workers, the non-clinical staff, and the patients in the hospitals. And, and so in some senses, it, it may be some of the safest time to go to your doctor's office or hospital because I bet we see reduced rates of uh, C. diff and MRSA and all these terrible illnesses we've been seeing uh, because everybody is so in tune to keeping things clean. Uh, there's no way to completely avoid COVID, but if we can reduce the prevalence in the community, then your chances of coming across it are much less. Right. I sort of feel like the, the hospital is safer than your local supermarket now. Not that you shouldn't go to your local supermarket, but because we have such, it's on our radar all the time. We're cleaning everything. We're segregating those who are possibly, you know, those who are under investigation or should be under investigation. So the hospitals are very safe. And I know from our practice, telemedicine, you know, uh, you know, even in, in the low-tech telemedicine that we're doing in our office will be with us for the year. But if things remain as they are now, where we're still waiting for better treatments and we're still waiting for uh, technology to catch up with the disease, we're going to continue to do uh, FaceTime duo from our office and we will still use the same sort of technology for our patients isolated in a room where we want to talk to them, um, not just on a phone, but face-to-face -face without healthcare personnel risk and without a depletion of our personal protective equipment. I think people will get used to this platform and it will actually be embraced long after COVID goes away or is under control. Do you think that this is going to affect the urgent care business? I often have people ask me, Oh, are you so busy in the ER right now? Are you so busy? And our volumes ha have contracted so much because people aren't wanting to go see a provider. I think that what you said at the beginning, Bill, is very important that people shouldn't forego evaluation for something that they're concerned about um, because we're going to see a downfall 
um, and we're going to see a, a, a huge resurgence, I think, of people who missed a, an initial window of an emergency or, or seeking care and uh, should have been evaluated. And so I think we'll see, we'll see a rebound in both urgent cares and ERs uh, from that. How much, I, I don't know yet. Um, and we'll see how that goes over the next six months to a year, how many people come back. But, um, you know, certainly there is overlap between what we see and what urgent care sees. But there's always going to be conditions that require, um, you know, a procedure or face-to-face -face evaluation. So um, that would be a first place we would send a lot of our patients um, would be to something that was a lower acuity place. It certainly was a less cost to the patient too. Um, if you have a, you know, something that needs a basic x-ray or, uh, you know, or a simple laceration, then maybe going to an urgent care would be a better uh, and lower cost visit for you. And so that's how telemedicine can help as well as, is help those patients navigate where to go. Dr. Rill and Dr. Thompson, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a, an interesting departure for our show. And for Telescope Health, there's a telescopehealth.com website that people can go check out to find you? Yep, telescopehealth.com. And Dr. Stephen Tabak, as usual, thank you so much. This is medicine. We're still practicing and apparently technologically developing as well. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends and let us know how we're doing by leaving a comment. It really helps if you give us a five-star rating, and we really appreciate it. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This episode was produced and edited by Mike Thomas, audio engineering by Michael Kennedy, and the theme music was composed and performed by Celeste and Eric Dick. Thanks for listening. From Kirkco Media, media for your mind.